listening to the Bible 126 show. Well, again, welcome. And uh, we're here for our second of three interviews here at the Birthright Conference. And uh, don't forget about the video on demand. Um, it's fantastic. It's certainly going to be part of what I do. And uh, we have a terrific guest here for you uh, today, Joe Allen, and we're going to be talking about transhumanism. And just for clarification for this segment, Dave Hodges, the Common Sense Show, uh, my broadcast partner on the Doug and Dave Intel Report, Doug Thornton, and also he has a great show uh, called uh, American Vindicta. So uh, we have an opening question for Joe. Doug, do you want to? Yeah, one thing, Mr. Allen, thanks for being here. Thank you very much. Very glad to be here. And uh, I had a question that I think most of us have to ask, but not very many people have uh, the opportunity to ask. When does transhumanism be, become too good to be true? Well, um, is it good? That's the first question. Um, and I think anybody who enjoys their smartphone would have to say yes if they were being honest with themselves. A uh, smartphone, I think, has transformed human psychology and human society irrevocably. And it's one of many incremental steps towards the ideal of human-machine symbiosis. Now, when is it too good to be true? If you mean by that, how far have they gone uh, so that they've put an ideal up that can't be realized? I think there are two major barriers there. The first is technical. Can you create an artificial intelligence that resembles human intelligence, its richness, its perception, its conscience? And that's an open question. Can you? I mean, the prediction that artificial intelligence would be sentient uh, that is most famous, Ray Kurzweil, 2030. Uh, I would say that that's pretty aggressive. Uh, the prediction that Elon Musk gave to Joe Rogan that within 10 years, human beings would be able to communicate with nothing but symbols through a Neuralink in their heads. Uh, he had predicted that to be around 2030, 2035. I think, again, probably unobtainable, at least in that timeline. And so I, the technical hurdles are significant. Now, for me, I think that if we just stay where we're at now, we're already in a bad situation. Because technocratic control and the systems that enable it has already been enacted. And in order to get out from underneath that, it would require what a transhumanist would say would be de-evolution or, or regression. Now, the second thing, the second obstacle is human autonomy. And to the extent that human beings refuse to submit to technocratic control and have the rights and power to maintain a distance from technocratic control, it won't happen. At least it won't happen in those nations and those communities that reject it. Unfortunately, I'm sad to say that I think that uh, techno-fetishism, the, the desire to go down that path of transhumanism, even if it's just the next step, I think that's so widespread. Again, I, it's, it's almost inevitable 
in most of the major societies across the world, most of the major civilizations. That includes America and Europe. That includes Russia. That includes China. That includes the Muslim world. And that, that includes Africa. So when is it too good to be true? I think um, in some sense it's already too good to be true. But just to bring that back around, let's say that those technical hurdles can't be surmounted. I think just uh, a half-baked version of it would be bad enough. And I think that to the extent the public accepts it, one or the other is going to happen. It'll either be half-baked where you're constantly trying to upgrade your smartphone or your VR glasses or your head chip and everything is all wonky but you're still under its thumb. Or if the technical hurdles are surmounted, then we end up in some sort of bizarre science fiction movie in which literally we're taking our marching orders from some sort of sentient AI. See, here's my problem with this is when we talk about any type of AI, where's the compassion? I can't find compassion with most people. Give me an argument with most people and they're going to differ, right? Just look at sports teams. And I'm not joking. Like there's at times people will fist fight each other over which football team is better. All right. You, you, you multiply that by a million, put a government in charge and say that your whole life is based off of this thing. Everything that you do, everything that you say, I got your face. I got your fingerprints. I got your biometrics. Let me talk about biometrics. You want to know what biometrics, transhumanism, all this stuff really comes down to? In my world, it came down to control and came down to how I can track you. Because in the military, by using biometrics, I capture your iris, I capture your face, I capture your fingerprints. You don't hide from me. You'll have to go and you know, take your face off. Good luck with that. Now with the deep fake that we see, you can literally be framed, framed from your voice. The algorithm can pick up your voice. It can actually mimic your voice. There are algorithms that we have within the military, within the government, that the moment you start talking, I'm going to know it's you. I can find your heat signature, and then you don't hide from the missile. So transhumanism in, in the military context, to me, can get bizarrely out of control. And obviously, I go straight to Terminator most of the time, because that's like worst case scenario, Skynet. But is that a future that you could see happening? Well, I mean, we're already there. Uh, to some extent, whatever the actual possibilities are, from here, it's, we, we are already in the midst of a transhumanist revolution. The only question is, how far can genetics really go? How far can bionics really go? And of course, how far can AI really go? And that's simply a matter of faith. A transhumanist has full faith that there is no limit to technological innovation and progress you know, the idea of compassion, I mean, I agree with you. I mean, uh, uh, artificial intelligence is as cold and heartless an entity that could possibly exist. But when transhumanists talk about creating a digital artificial intelligence-based god, they don't talk about some evil warlord that will be created, right? They talk about a being that will not only have compassion, that has been fitted into it by its programmers, but will be far more compassionate and fair than any mere human being could be, right? If there is no God, you need one to judge humanity. That AI would be that God because it would be equipped not only with compassion, 
but full awareness of what someone's motives were and what someone's deepest intent was so they could, in theory, be more fair, right? The, the AI would have access, of course, to every aspect of that person's personality far beyond what any judge or jury could. Um, and so it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a really difficult subject in some ways because I spend so much time reading transhumanist literature that I, I don't want to come off like I'm defending them because I am lifelong in opposition to this movement. But from their perspective, when you talk about cybernetics, you're talking about control, right? At the root of cybernetics is control, to steer. But when they talk about control, they mean humans controlling nature, humans controlling themselves, humans controlling machines, and while it's baked in, but not oftentimes mentioned overtly, they're talking about humans controlling other humans. So from the positive perspective, what they're talking about, cybernetics, humans through technology, through digital or mechanical technology, are able to exert control that is unprecedented. But I think the way I perceive it is that control will always lay in the hands of an elite. And so to the extent that they are able to control nature and particularly to the extent that they are able to control psychologies, societies, and economies, the control is always going to be on a submissive, a submissive level from our perspective. So it may be very handy for you to be able to lift your way to, to downtown Nashville. I did today. I downloaded the app today, actually, to do it. Um, I did today. But now... That's one data point, and people who are completely consumed by these technologies, uh, whatever sense of control they feel they have over their environment is far outweighed by the control that those tech corporations and their governmental partners have over that person and in the aggregate over the society itself. It's completely unprecedented, the degree of control that people have been put under uh, in the modern technocratic world. Joe, along those lines of control, there's a lot of controversy about chipping. Yes. And there's two different flavors of chipping that I'm seeing. One that Harari of the World Economic Forum has been very clear about the freedom and willpower. That's all a thing of the past. And then there is Elon Musk that is Neuralink. And what I'm wondering, and I'd like you to respond to this, you have the one coming out of the digital ID, the digital economy that's probably coming here if we can't stop it. And then you have Neuralink. Does Elon Musk see himself as someone who can use the chip in benign and helpful ways without going down the dark prognostications and revelations with the mark of the beast? Is there a big difference between the two or is it two flavors or two wings of the same bird? Uh, I, in my own view, it's the latter. But that requires certain projections on my part insofar as the motive of the people we're talking about. Like In the case of Yuval Noah Harari, if you take Yuval Noah Harari just by the, the slivers of statements that oftentimes get spread online, it sounds like he's promoting this, right? But if you read Harari all the way through or you listen to his lectures all the way through, what he is doing from the position of a globalist, which I disagree with wholeheartedly, what he's doing is warning about surveillance. He's warning about the diminishment of power a human being would have under such a system. 
And when he talks about the end of free will, he is simply speaking for the consensus of the scientific community and the neuroscientists who have decided that free will is an illusion. He himself is a very slippery character. I wouldn't say to trust him. I think you would be a fool to trust him. But I think you would be utterly ignorant of the transhumanist movement as a whole if you didn't read him in full and carefully. He is warning about people like Elon Musk. Now, Elon Musk is very open about his motives. His motives are to help humanity. His, his motive is to see to it that we have a bright and exciting future. The future of humanity should be exciting. And part of that is linking the human brain via brain, an, an implanted brain-computer interface to artificial intelligence. So he's billing this, again, as a way for humans to control technology. But he's setting us up for a system in which, whether there's ever a brain chip that's effective or not, you don't need a brain chip. You already have a smartphone. And to the extent that people are seduced into the idea that this culture allows for greater freedom, allows for greater productivity, and ultimately allows for a more unified humanity, I, in my opinion, we're being seduced into something that either Elon Musk wittingly is billing as something that is beneficial, or he's simply being disingenuous, or there's a third option, and I've, I've considered this, or he's just trolling everybody, and he is just another car dealer, shilling cars, throwing lemon after lemon off the car lot, and that's the end of it. But ultimately, I think that in any of those scenarios, it doesn't matter. I myself am what I would call a failed Luddite, in that I believe that technology, unless it is constantly checked for its damaging qualities, is by its very nature anti-human. That begins with a spear, which I wouldn't say destroy all spears, and it ends with artificial intelligence ruling over humanity, which I don't know is possible. But I think that our greatest characteristic is our inward spirit, and the most obvious manifestation of that is us as bodies, as biological entities. And what this extreme technological movement of transhumanism is talking about is breaking every natural and religious sacred barrier of the human body to get access to that which is deepest, the human soul. And I think that whatever anyone's motivation is, it has to be resisted at every turn. Well, you know, again, I think that that has already occurred in the progression from the Enlightenment through the Renaissance and then, of course, the Scientific Revolution and the Industrial Revolution. If you look just statistically, you can see religion has been decimated in the modern, in the modern era. And in the last 20 years, it's just increasing at a near, certainly at an accelerating rate. 
So the idea that whether it be a chip or whether it just be whatever technological media we're absorbing, that spiritual culture is being rapidly eroded. And so I think what you're seeing more when you look at Klaus Schwab or any of the other sorts of uh, uh, you know, technocratic, techno-fetishist characters, Parag Khanna, including in some sense Yuval Noah Harari and certainly Kai-Fu Lee, what you see is not necessarily in their messaging an anti-religious message. What they're talking about, they're articulating a worldview that is to be the replacement for religion. So that ultimately, if you can draw people into a notion that our biological selves, devoid of spirituality, are our, our base identities, and that the higher identity that we are to strive for is technological superiority, that is in itself a religion. And when they speak about it, they speak about it with faith, and they speak about it as if you were moving towards an eschaton in which the old will be swept away and the new will be revealed. And so I think that that is more how I see that. This, it, it is what you're saying. It is a decimation of both traditional or even unorthodox spiritual perspectives. But it's not being done so anymore, by and large, by any kind of aggressive anti-religious campaign. They don't really need that anymore. Instead, the narrative, by and large, has shifted towards a positive narrative in which some technocratic or transhumanist or posthumanist pick your term, some sort of new society, a new heaven, a new Jerusalem is being created here on earth, and that is what we are to strive towards. You, again, you don't need anti-religion to get there. Religion is already weakened enough. And you don't get the resistance that goes with the, the, the stamping out of a religion. Um, you don't get the equal and opposite effect, as I like to call it. Doug? No, I, I agree. It, it reminds me a lot of Ready Player One, that movie. You know, it's the ability to capture people's mind and keep them captured. I think that's one, of, that's one of their great benefits of transhumanism. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you've been listening to the Doug and Dave Intel Report. Thank you very much for being here. Mr. Joe Allen, thank you very much for being here, educating us today. You can get this on the birthrightconference.com. That's the birthrightconference.com. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Doug. Yeah. Folks, the Birthright Conference was an extraordinary event. We filmed over six hours of content, including presentations from myself, Joe Allen, Gary Haven, and Mancow Muller, covering a variety of topics, such as theological perspectives on angels and how they relate to extraterrestrials, transhumanism and the post-human paradigm, UFOs and alien abduction, and the dehumanization and depopulation agenda of the globalist elite. The conference is now available for purchase in DVD, digital download, and long-term rental formats. Go to birthrightconference.com to secure your copy today.